0: This is Multi New Media. You're listening to Multi New Media, connecting business and technology. I'm your host, Chase Raz. <laughs> wow, that's right. I am your host, Chase Raz. And it is so weird to hear myself do that. Just something new I put together uh, over our break. And uh, again, so I am Chase Raz, a university instructor, corporate trainer, and and consultant that loves to host this show, Multinew Media, which is in its 61st episode as of right now. I know it feels like we were just talking about all of our predictions here at Multinew Media for 2017, and when you're saying yes, it feels exactly that way, it's because it was one episode ago that we were talking about predictions for 2017. But here, even in the very beginning of our third season, the very beginning of 2017, we can start confirming some of those predictions. Why? Well, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, celebrated its 50th year. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the 50th iteration of the show. CES has a long and interesting history that you can read up on online. But the 2017 CES, as it's been the case for at least the past decade or so, began in early January. And this year in 2017, CES ran from January 5th to January 8th. So here's what we want to do in this episode. I'm going to take this episode just me. I'm going to take it solo. And before you start rolling your eyes at me, I'm going to let you know that I'm going to take off my typical interviewer hat, my typical poke the bear, get people to respond hat And I'm going to put on my teaching hat. I'm going to put on my professor hat for a little bit. I not only want to drill through some of the high-level topics, some of the big pushes that happen at CES, but also give a little bit of insight behind the scenes, at least as much as I can, as to why they happen. What's the larger context? What should we be interpreting is happening within the tech space, within the consumer space, based on the technologies that we saw? So give me just a brief second. I'm going to take about a 15-second break, and then we'll be right back with our first topic. One of the first big topics to come out of CES 2017 was in the automotive space. Now, I want to take a brief moment to tease our next episode, episode 62 of Multinew Media, because if you think back to our last episode, our previous episode, Mark Christ of Power Nation TV's Detroit Muscle joined us to give his thoughts on what's coming up in 2017 with the automotive world. He's going to be joining us again for our full-length interview and our full-length episode next week for episode 62. All right, so now that the teaser's out of the way, what made headlines at CES in the automotive space? Well, one of the things was Faraday Future. Faraday Future is an LA-based company that is attempting, essentially, to rival Tesla. Whether they'll be able to do this or not is shrouded in a cloud of mystery, primarily because of the lack of understanding of Faraday Futures management, some of the questionable nature of their investments uh, that come from Chinese companies, not that the investments themselves are questionable, but rather the financial solvency behind the investing companies and of Faraday Future itself. But that's neither here nor there. The reason Faraday Future's announcement at CES 2017 was so big was because they have an all-electric vehicle, that is said to be coming out of production or into production rather in 2018 that can do 0 to 60 in less than 3 seconds and has a super large capacity battery and yada yada yada. You can imagine the types of things that were announced. If you want the specifics, I'm sure you've been following the news. Again, my purpose today is to add some perspective to help us understand how we make sense of a arguably silly little conference that happens every single year and apply it into our personal and professional lives. And just before I get to the perspective that I'm promising, I want to add a few additional notes in here of what happened at CES. So it wasn't just Faraday Future announcing their FF91 vehicle in 2018, but also Audi, BMW, Chevrolet, all sorts of auto manufacturers had concept or future production electric vehicles at CES. And it wasn't just electric vehicles, it was also self-driving vehicles. So now the perspective. What's going on here? Well, first of all, we have to understand that automobile manufacturers had a record-breaking or a banner year in 2016. Now, a lot of the data that's out there shows that SUVs were back on the upswing again. And I guess this is part of the problem that people never learn their lesson, right? Why are SUV sales increasing or why did they increase? Well, gas prices have been relatively low. Supply and demand for the cartel has been out of whack for the past couple of years. We know that. We saw prices plummet a few years ago. We've seen the inability for the cartel to get a rein on the supply and demand problem. This has ultimately been good for customers, been good for consumers, and has been good for us who rely on petrol-derived products for our everyday productivity. It hasn't been so good for the oil-producing cartel or oil producing companies or oil production dependent nations. Now there's this constant give and take. So as we see this rise in SUVs, we probably know that it's not a sustainable future. We know, the auto manufacturers know, that if they want to continue these record-breaking sales, not only do they have to keep producing new vehicles that people want to consume, but that they can afford to purchase and thereby consume. What do you do if you've been through this once? Well, first of all, let's go ahead and jump on to the bandwagon. Let's jump on to the electric vehicle bandwagon. Now, a lot of us who listen to this show and who host this show and appear as guests on this show are on that bandwagon. We may have been cheerleading it from the very beginning. But the thing is, it doesn't make sense for most people to go out and replace their car with an all-electric vehicle because of the amount of carbon emissions that it took to create the new car. So, yes, there is a market swell for electric vehicles. But it's probably not going to be an immediate hit. It's going to be something that takes a little bit of time because the people who want electric vehicles most probably understand a little bit more about the carbon footprint that vehicles are responsible for than maybe the average consumer who is just looking for something to get from point A to point B. And that begs the question that if we're the auto manufacturers, how do we appeal to those people who want to get from point A to point B, who want to buy maybe a larger vehicle because gas prices have been down for some time? How do we appeal to them? Well, we can always go styling. Styling works. Styling makes things new and sexy and sleek and all of these other words that probably shouldn't be associated with a transport device. But another way is to capitalize on another trend. Now the trend that we're talking about here is of course consumer electronics. It's big. Everybody wants their phone. Everybody wants their tablet. Everybody wants their personal assistant. They want all of these things and that's wonderful. That's what makes most of our careers a reality. But if you're an auto manufacturer, and if you're an American one who had to have some type of government bailout a few years ago, right? if you're an auto manufacturer in general, however, you can ride that wave of technological interest just as easy as you can some wave of increased fuel efficiency or electric vehicles. And I'm going to take two real-world examples from CES to make this point. The idea is be BMW and integrate Microsoft's Cortana. Be Ford and integrate Amazon's Alexa. Put these technologies that people are clamoring for into the vehicle. Now, a lot of us roll our eyes and we think, Oh, no, don't put technology into the vehicle because the vehicle itself is going to be outdated long after the technology in Dash. Now, that's a problem for us, but for the average consumer... I just don't know if that idea is registering in their minds. Now, I hear more hope of that. I hear more people saying, I don't want in-dash GPS. I don't want these other features because they get outdated quickly. I see the spark in people's eyes that understand that concept. But again, we're talking about people who are traditionally younger and have grown up with technology and have reasons for this. Now, one thing I'm waiting for that I I don't recall seeing from CES is where is modular in-dash technology, something that can be swapped out, hot-swapped even, every couple of months rather than every couple of years. Now, I'm not trying to advocate for increased waste, but what if you are a constant growth individual in your consumer electronics purchases? In that case, we want you to be able to take out your GPS system in a year or two years or five years even and replace it with something newer, as long as you recycle. Riding the wave of consumer electronics is a perfect thing for auto manufacturers to do. It's very fiscally responsible to shareholders and to investors, to employees, to management. It may not be the absolute best thing to do for the climate and for the environment, but that's going to be something we're going to have to deal with on another level. As gas prices begin to go back up, and I don't follow this field anymore. I used to when I was in corporate purchasing. I don't follow it anymore, but I'm hearing that they may go back up. When and if they do, people are going to regret some of these SUV purchases and are going to be looking for smaller, more fuel-efficient vehicles. Guess who's going to be ready to sell them a brand new vehicle yet once again and probably, probably even promise to drop their monthly payments by buying yet another new car? So it makes perfect sense for the automobile space to be invading this consumer electronic show, right? It's not an auto show, but it's becoming one. That's what everybody out in the media keeps reporting. And hopefully I've given you a little bit of perspective as to why. All right, so let's take another brief break and we'll come back with our next major topic from CES. In this next segment, I'm going to lump three technologies together and kind of discuss the reason that they um, happened the way they did at CES. And then at the end of this segment, I believe I'm going to throw in a fourth topic. But all of these things go together. So what are they? What are the three things I want to start with? I want to start with wearables, the Internet of Things or smart connected devices, and also drones. Now, depending on the types of reports you see from CES, you'll see people either say that drones had a weak presence or a strong presence, and you'll see that with a lot of different fields. Most of that's subjective. What was somebody expecting to see? Did they come in with high expectations? And, well, if that happened, you probably didn't see what you expected to see. But if you come in as a regular, functioning human being who understands where the where the business environment is now, you probably saw some interesting things. Now, if you've been paying any attention to CES 2017, or if you were rather last week when it happened, you probably saw the story of wearables. That wearables were evolving and it wasn't any longer about a smartwatch or you know some similar type of device that we may have already uh, purchased a couple of years ago. Instead, one of the highlight stories was a wearable breast pump. Now, at first, I thought my interest in this story was perfectly selfish because my wife and I are expecting the birth of our first child literally any day now. So I'm seeing this wearable breast pump and thinking, okay, I'm only paying attention to this because it's on my mind right now. But then I started to see the stories just fly on it and eventually even saw the device on my local news station. Now, when something from CES makes it to local news... You know, that, that's sort of interesting, and I realized it wasn't just me that was looking at the future of wearables in a completely different manner. These wearable breast pumps manufactured by Willow, um, basically the idea is why should a woman have to stop, go to a private room, um, and be inundated with uh, annoying mechanical technology, outdated technology, in order to perform this function that almost every single mother does. By introducing technology as a wearable, that solves for the problem of when and where a woman can pump. I think that technology is evolving past the point of, look, I can have an app on my watch, to the level of, I can accomplish something. I think that's one of the reasons we saw back in 2016, unrelated to CES, that Garmin was one of the only smartwatch manufacturers that had growth, that had year-over-year growth. And the reason is because they focused on activity. They focused on health and exercise basically doing things not like the apple watch not like most of samsung's gear line not like motorola's old line that's discontinued the idea isn't look i can have an app yet one more place but was rather here's what i'm doing here's what i'm accomplishing and here's how i can apply some analytics and metrics to it of course that's true for this willow breast pump but it's also true for the Internet of Things where we saw everything from refrigerators to, okay, you get the idea. Well, listen, we see this every year. I'm not even going to go back through the stories that came out of CES of what manufacturer is putting out what smart Internet-enabled devices here. Just go look them up. right? I can't add any value to that conversation even here through multi media. And quite frankly, I want to be blunt about this. I don't think half of the manufacturers that are creating these prototypes and that are creating these products can add that much value either. I'm not down on this topic. I think the Internet of Things is one of the biggest topics, not just of 2017, but of the next decade. But it's not going to happen in the way that some of these manufacturers want. It's not going to be that we buy a one-off refrigerator that has some type of service that enables you to order from, from Amazon and Amazon alone. We need an open framework. Now, this is where I mentioned earlier, I haven't even gotten through all three of the topics in this segment, and I said a fourth may come into play. But this is where I'm going to bring that fourth in, and that fourth is with bots. There there was a lot of focus on digital assistants. There was a lot of focus on Alexa and Cortana but I'm not sure that people get the overall sense of how important bots are. Now, I'm going to come back to this again at the end of this segment, like I promised, but bots are what help tie this together. Bots aren't just the way that you're interfacing through oratory with a computer, right? That's that's the big pitch that I'm going to make later, but it's, it's more than that. There has to be a service-level API that sits underneath all of this, And ties multiple different services together in one type of service fabric or one type of service framework. Now, I'm just looking. I'm going to look up at my other monitor here. You can't see me and that's okay. But I'm going to look up at an article that I have open right now from a major tech publisher about CES that I've been using as a little bit of background primers, a little bit of research, and to make sure that my opinion isn't that far off of everyone else's. Now, when I look at the Internet of Things, when I look at these smart devices... I'd see a list of Apple, Samsung, LG, Panasonic, all having their own system, their own standard for these smart devices. That's just not going to work. Let's let's stop right then, right there. This is the same type of problem we're having with automobiles with, with both Apple and Google being in the space for in-dash entertainment and Microsoft dropping these hints that it's coming back into that field. We don't know if that's going to happen or not. But it's difficult enough with two players. What about the idea of open standards here? Now, I know, I know they exist in the automobile space. They exist here in the Internet of Things. They exist in smart devices. But not to the level that we need to make this a viable consumer product. I am not going to take a 65-year-old retired individual and tell them that you can only buy X, Y, or Z refrigerator because it works and it alone works with the type of smart home you have. I'm not going to do it. Now maybe that works out. Maybe the manufacturers have some plan and we're going to look at market share dominance and it's going to be like cell phones all over. Would well, you have Android or do you have iOS? Maybe consumers and customers are comfortable with that, but I'm not comfortable with that, putting yet another type of product. In fact, I want to backtrack there. I'm comfortable putting another product with those specs out, but not an entire connection of products. This is why the internet succeeded and other networks failed. The open standards, which one of the reasons. I'm pontificating too much. You get my point. What's the bottom line? Smart devices are here. Samsung keeps throwing televisions on every refrigerator and, God, if they made toasters, they do that there too. But that's not because they believe in the internet of things. That's part of the reason. I'm sure the engineers that work on these products do. But that's also just another way to sell yet another Samsung television. I mean, again, I'm pontificating, I'm going on a rant, but you see the connections behind all of these things. The Internet of Things is going to be massive from this point forward, period. But when we talk about integrating the Internet of Things into a smart home, bots definitely need to be involved on the -the behind-the-scenes level. We'll talk about the consumer-facing level in just a little bit. Your refrigerator, your phone, your toaster, your hot water dispenser, all of them need to be able to talk together, even if they live in different ecosystems, even if they're manufactured by different manufacturing partnerships. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to be looking at one company needing to manufacture all of those devices, plus the IT infrastructure behind the scenes, plus the network connections, plus, 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 plus. plus. Now, the only two vertically integrated electronics companies we have on the planet are Samsung and LG. Both are South Korean. Both are in this space. They could pull it off. But I don't even think that LG or Samsung has the clout to go this far through the process of everything involved. From the networking standards to the security standards to the device manufacturing. They have operations in all of these areas. And I'm still saying I don't put my confidence in one company or one partnership alone. Open standards are necessary. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong so the last topic before I move back into bots is that of drones. And from CES 2017, we see that our understanding of what a drone is, is finally evolving. The number of times over the holiday season that I've seen small kids playing with quote unquote drones and I just shake my head and I say, I don't want to be that guy who tells them that it's not a drone, that it's a remote controlled quadcopter. I don't want to be that guy. But CES 2017 shows us that we don't need to be that person because people get it. The types of drones that we're seeing are unmanned aircraft, unmanned vehicles, self-driving vehicles, and the term drone is finally encompassing these autopilot vehicles, as it should have been from the beginning. I'm confident that self-driving vehicles, that self-moving transportation that's powered by algorithms and mathematics behind it, is not just one of the waves of the future. It's one of the primary waves of the future that builds our entire culture and society. Yes, and I fully understand the distinction of culture and society. And I'm saying that this technological advancement is so big that it is influential to both. Now, a little bit of a pause, a little bit of a pause, and you can tell I'm itching. I can't wait to get back to bots. Bots are this fourth topic that I wanted to bring up because they take wearables the internet of things and drones and ties the whole beautiful mess together now i already mentioned i already let the let the cat out of the bag so to speak and talked about bots' as a service level framework behind the scenes powering the internet of things but that's industry that's behind the scenes that's us at work every single day weaving all of our technologies together what i'm interested in are these digital assistants and bots And how they're going to impact consumers because quite frankly, I think that's what unless you're a programmer, unless you're um, some type of of, uh, chief developer, if you're the chief innovation officer, unless you're in one of those positions, I really think the customer facing level of bots is going to impact you in your business first and i keep going back to this joke of i mean do we all need to be like dominoes and have a bot that where when i tweet a pizza emoji that i get a pizza of my my pre-specified choice delivered and my account charged that's that's great that is a wonderful start to having a bot but i want people to change their perception of what bots are now i'm i'm not going to go into all the nuanced details here i just want you to think about the customer facing bot in terms of an auditory experience with the internet. Yes, we know that the service level stuff is below there. Please, please, please don't flame me in the comments and say I'm forgetting what bots really are. I want you to think from the customer's mind. How is the customer going to engage with these things? Now, the first place I want to go is imagine you're blind. Imagine you're blind and you're using a computer. Now, most of us who are interested in computer technologies have either shut our screens off or blacked them out and, and done this for usability. We've tried to understand what the process is like and you turn on your screen reader and you go through it and just like any blind person will tell you who frequently uses a computer they'll say you get used to the screen reader and the speed at which you interface with the computer becomes on par with a sighted person. Now when you're getting used to the screen reader it can be sort of a um, quite frankly a hellacious nightmare experience because it's slow, you have to learn it first, then you can increase the speed of the readout. and um, if you've never done this for accessibility purposes and if you're not blind or don't know anyone who is, then please try it. I mean it's an absolutely impressive field. And I know that that is not what bots are designed to address, but that is the way that most people in the future will interface with their computing devices. Now not everybody. Visual has to be a much as much a part of the equation. As auditory, It just has to be. We have to address, through computing, all five of the senses eventually. But how much can you do with Siri? Which is arguably probably the dumbest of the digital assistants. What happens when you can interact with your computer and just natively speak to it? That it can respond and understand. Why is it that when you're in the shower and you don't have your phone on you, at least I hope you don't, Why can't you just call out and say, how many feet is 3.2 meters? Why can't you just have the answer back? Now, that type of future that we all think about, this is where wearables, the Internet of Things, and drones all come together. This new interaction point that supplements the vision that we already have, the monitors, the TVs, the displays, which, by the way, great TVs at CES, super thin, extremely thin devices. Take a look at them. Not my focus here. But bots bring this entire thing together, not only on the back end, but also in the foreground. So I want you thinking in your businesses, should you have a bot? And we're, trust me, we're thinking that here at Multi New Media as well. We're asking that question Should we have a bot? What should it do? What are some of the user stories? What are some of the use cases for a customer interacting? Or for, in our case, a listener, part of the community. I mean, think of it in those terms. It doesn't just have to be for a for-profit enterprise. What about a show like Multinumedia? What would you like to do with a bot? Actually, don't ask yourself these as rhetorical questions. Go to multinumedia.com, click on the Episode 61 page, and let me know in the comments. Email me at feedback at multinumedia.com and let me know. What would you like a bot to do? Now, don't just do the work for me, right? Do this for your own business as well. How do people want to interact? Do people want to to implement easier returns? Do they want to be able to access information? Looking at bots from the perspective of the customer is absolutely critical right now. We're not going to simply rely on Siri, Cortana, Alexa, and Google Assistant. We're going to have countless, numerous bots in the millions that integrate with these main services. Think of those services as the high-level operating systems for which all other bots are going to fall under and be able to integrate with them you have a program, let's say, on Windows 10, and it's a great program and a lot of people use it, of course you're going to port it to OS X. The same thing is going to be true of the bot world. If you have a bot running in Skype and thereby running with Cortana and in Windows 10, hopefully all of that merges in the long run. I do understand the realities that it's not all merged now. But let's say you have this great Cortana bot that's running in Skype. You're, of course, going to make it work with whatever other framework is out there. I sound like I'm going exactly against what I said back with Internet of Things, that you can't have these multiple companies that all have their own service frameworks. But I'm going to apply that same logic right here to bots. When it comes to Cortana, when it comes to Siri, when it comes to Alexa, when it comes to all the ones we don't even know about yet that we haven't heard of that are yet to be released, at some point in the future, they need to be able to operate and communicate amongst themselves. Our smart assistants need to be able to work together and to collaborate. That may be a little bit of a problem for some companies that are purely motivated by ecosystem promotion. I don't know if we have any many of those companies left, quite frankly, though. I mean, Microsoft had to abandon that, and they were one of the worst culprits of locking people into an ecosystem. Had to abandon that when their mobile efforts failed, as the PC world became the post-PC world. Apple's having to face that same reality right now. Google has already had to face that reality with Android in numerous scenarios. Think about how, instead of going to a website, instead of going to your website, your business website, how can somebody like me, if I'm just at home or I'm in my car, how can I interact with your business? How can we build community? How can we conduct a business? How can I buy from you? How can you sell to me through the auditory internet? If you think of bots in that terminology, it's going to be a lot easier to then hand the development over to your technical folks who are using pre-existing bot frameworks To build the type of solution that you want to see, that your customers expect to see, and you can get a competitive advantage from being first, not only in the space of bots, but also with creating wearables that actually help people do things and not just move an app to yet one more contact point. That you can build devices that work on the Internet of Things that people want to buy and adopt into their daily lifestyle. And that if you're such a forward-thinking company that you're looking at drones, well, self-explanatory there as well. But I think the core of all of these is that interaction frame point. We get the visual space pretty well. What we need to understand in 2017 a lot better are bots. To add a fifth category in here, there was a lot of talk at CES of robots. Well, that's great. But the mechanical, the hardware, we've already had that technology for a very long time. I'm not going to be super impressed until the intelligent, the the software bot aspect is up to speed. So you can release all the robots you want. At this point in time, I just don't care unless the technology and the software behind it is smart enough functioning like our next wave of bots that we don't quite have yet. That's when we can start having a conversation whether or not 1960s style robots make any sense. All right, that's it. That's all the commentary I have for you this week on CES 2017. I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for listening to Multi New Media. Please do us a favor. Please, if you like the show, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other network that you listen to. And please let your friends know about this show. Anybody that you work with, anybody that you're sort of tech buddies with or business buddies, we really would appreciate if you share this show with them because we want to do one thing in 2017 really well and that is build a community around this show. We know you're out there. We know you're listening. We see the analytics, and we thank you so much for that. One of our driving goals in 2017 is to build the community, to get to reach out, to talk to some of you, to know you, to build great relationships around this common interest that we all share. So with that, let me ask that you go to Multinewmedia.com, click on the episode 61 page, and leave any comments that you may have on this episode there. The same is going to be true for every single episode. Multinewmedia.com, click on the appropriate episode page, and we will have comments enabled for that episode. The other thing you can do if you want to reach out directly to myself, to Christopher Woodward, to Chris Ayers, to any of the guests that are on the show, please email feedback at Multinewmedia.com. Again, that email address is feedback at multinumedia.com. We really look forward to hearing from you and building a dialogue with you. Don't forget, next week, Mark Christ of Power Nation TV's Detroit Muscle will be here. We'll be talking about the automotive space a little bit more. And I'm super excited that Mark's going to be joining us again. If you want to uh, fill yourself in on Mark, go back to episode one and hear uh, when when he helped me kick off the show. But Mark's a very good friend of mine, um, somebody I've really admired his, his personal life and his professional career for a long time. He's such a wonderful speaker and a really great person to learn from. I learn something new every single time I talk to him. And I believe that's always been the case. So join us next week on Multinew Media. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.